Hi, welcome to Curious Sisters. My name is Kat. My name is Nastya. So glad everybody's back. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, what's new today? Not much. I do have a warm-up question for you. All right. Shoot. Maeve wants to say a couple of words again. <laughs> Maeve is here again. Uh, the mark is here. He's not saying much, but he is actually here, staring at me. What was that again, Maeve? Would you like to talk about your favorite treats? My warm-up question to you is, when you were a child, who was your actor or actress crush? Oh boy, that's that's an easy one. I think you can answer that one for me. He still kind of is my crush. No? Is it Jim, Jim Carrey? Obviously, yes. I was crushing so hard. I think um, the movie Mask, Mask was the first one that I saw. And I, I was just gone. After that, I was gone. All of them. I watched every single movie more than once. How old were you when you watched that? I want to say, I'm pretty sure it came out in 1994, I think. So that would be 10, 10 years old. You seem surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just didn't think that you were so young when it came out. I was a baby too, so I don't really remember that. I remember you watching um, Ace Ventura movie for the first time when you were a baby. Do you remember? Well, duh, of course. Well, maybe not the very first time. I remember watching it with you for the very first time. I'm pretty sure we were watching it with some of our cousins. And it's the one where um, he, at the beginning, he's trying to rescue the raccoon. And mm -hmm. the raccoon slips out of his hand. Spoiler alert in case somebody didn't see this movie. So anyways, the raccoon slips out of his hand and flies into this canyon. big hole, I guess, canyon. And... We look over at you, I think you were like, I don't know, four, five maybe years old. And you're like bawling your eyes out. You're like about to cry. So we had to make up a story that the raccoon is fine, that there was a mattress at the bottom and the raccoon survived and he made it. <laughs> I just remember that you were so upset about the little guy. Well, I, I'm still always upset when there is an animal dying in the movie. So nothing has changed in that yeah, regard. So nice. What about you? Who was your crush? Well, I actually had to pause and think about this one. Before I move on to my crush, I wanted to mention that one year, and I would say, I want to say it was the very first year, my husband and I went to a Halloween party together in a couple's costume, and we actually did do Ace Ventura, and I was, I was the bat, Chicago. Yes. I remember this. I, I liked it. I think you guys look great. I, I think that was my favorite costume so far. Well, I guess couple's costume. So I really had to pause and think about my celebrity crush growing up, actor or actress. Funnily enough, um, the first person I thought of was, um, I don't know if you know her, but the actress, Alisa, Alisa Milano. Yeah, I know from the Charmed. Yes, I think I was obsessed when I was a kid. I was obsessed with Charmed. I would like come home every night to not skip an episode. I don't know if I would say she was a crush, maybe more like an idol. Yeah. Or like a, someone I looked up to. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, so I she was the first one I thought of. Maybe my crush? I don't even know. I remember having a crush on a Russian singer, but he's not an actor. But I was already older. I was like a teenager. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be an actor. And it doesn't have to be American or English actor. Could be Russian, too. Is it Dima Bilan? Yes. I knew that. Yes. Boys band. For anyone who doesn't know, um, it he was a part of a boys band in Russia. And God, what was their name? Smash? Sounds right. I think so. I think it. I think it was Smash. But there were two guys in a band, and yeah, I had a crush on one of them. Nice. Well, thank you for that question. That kind of led into some good old memories of nice to being sad about raccoons. <laughs> and I have for you a very interesting, a very short history of Russian betrzvitel, which literally means. A sobrator, also known as a drunk tank or a sobering center. Drunk tanks were widespread all over the Soviet Union. And do you remember anything about this? Do you remember this one time last day you woke up in the drunk tank and you were like five and you were like, where the hell am I? Just kidding. <laughs> no, I honestly don't even remember that being a thing. Welcome. Welcome to Russia. <laughs> well, I think because by the time you were born by the time you were around and then by the time you were conscious enough to understand these things like they were already fizzling out but i kind of remember hearing about them growing up so how did this drunk tank business come about here comes the small history lesson in 1902 the first drunk tank was opened in tula it was called very romantically shelter for intoxicated ah Welcome to our shelter for intoxicated. So for many centuries, Russian Tsars, noblemen, landlords, and officers had thought hard on how to make their heavily drinking subordinates sober up as quickly as possible. In the 18th century, there were special sobering up rooms in the eating quarters of one of Russia's cavalry regiments. But the concept of the Vitrizvitel was developed by Russian doctor Fyodor Arhangelsky, in the city of Tula, near Moscow, in 1902. Some sources say it was 1904. At the time, the authorities of the city, famous for the production of guns and heavy machinery, were concerned with the heavy drinking among the workers. A drunken person could easily freeze to death if he fell over after having too much alcohol in winter. Side note, we're talking 1902 here, guys. Russia was still extremely patriarchal. So yes, most definitely it was he and not she work in the arms plant. In fact, it was actually called Tula Arsenal, and it was founded by Tsar Peter I of Russia in 1712. Its name was changed to Imperial Tula Arms Plant during the Soviet era. Also, how are they drinking and working? That doesn't seem safe. I mean, we're talking about early 1900s here. Times were different. You're saying they didn't have any safety precautions in, in the workplace? Uh, I would imagine no. Anyway, because of all the drunkenness and falling over in the snow during winter shenanigans, there was a great concern that the factories could lack workforce, which could lead to a decline of the local economy. Dr. Arhangelsky was the, at the front line of this effort. When he was making a speech at the opening of, of the first Vitrizvitel, sobering up station, he stressed the importance of doing something to put an end to massive alcohol consumption among workers. 
there were two departments in the Vetrisvitel, one for alcoholics, just regular alcoholics, and the other for heavily drinking parents. The staff consisted of only two people, a doctor and a driver, who went around the city searching for drunks. Here comes the best part. The key remedy for drunkenness at the time was rasol, a mixture of salt, water and spices, so basically brine, like pickle juice. The mechanism of its healing action somewhat does make sense. When the person drinks, the alcohol causes dehydration, digestive problems, electrolyte imbalance, and this results in splitting headaches and in an ability to work. Duh. Have you ever tried working with a splitting headache? Also, that's pretty nice of them to actually just drive around and look for those people and not the other way around. I guess. Agreed. Agreed. So the thought was that our soul contains necessary nutrients because sodium is an electrolyte after all. Because guess what? With an electrolyte imbalance, water molecules will not properly move to dehydrated areas. So drinking rasol was thought to help the body retain water and stabilize the work of the heart and muscle. Genius. Science. There's a, a little bit of science bit for you guys. The example of Dr. Arhangelsky was followed by authorities in other areas of the country. By 1910, there was at least one Vetrisvitel in each regional center of the Russian Empire. In 1913, Fyodor Arhangelsky received Russia's badge of honor at a regional exhibition in St. Petersburg. Sadly, though, the Vetrisvitel became rather popular among heavy drinkers. They now knew they had a place where their hangover would be removed free of charge. Some stations even had a phonograph to put people in a cheerful mood. For many workers, the Vetrisvitel became the place to be after a drinking binge. In 1913, to reduce the number of heavy drinkers, authorities decided to charge for the services of the sobering station. 50 kopecks a month, so there are 100 kopecks and 1 ruble, and apparently an average wage at the time was about 22 rubles, so it just kind of gives you an idea. It's not very cheap. It makes sense though, because, I mean, people just crashing there and not paying doesn't seem fair. Right, and taking advantage of situation and kind of made me think so it, it's a it could be a good thought like you said they drive around looking for these people making sure they're not gonna freeze in winter but then is it really helping the problem because now people know they can go there and that kind of i guess exacerbates the problem maybe somewhat well when i was thinking about it initially i thought why would they do that and not just have people come to them when they need them but I guess they could be so drunk that they wouldn't find the place, or I don't know. I guess that's part of it. So right after the 1917 revolution, the need to sober people up was not a priority for the Soviet state. Only later in the 1930s, during the years of Stalin's industrialization, local authorities started to think about the need to sober up heavily drinking workers. The first Soviet Vetrisvitel was set up on November 14th, 1931 in the center of Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, on Marat Street. Witnesses said the sobering up procedures at the first Soviet stations were less generous than in the times before the 1917 revolution. The pleasant atmosphere of older times was replaced by chilly rooms with thin pieces of cloth, deemed enough for booze-riddled addicts to sober up. Later on, though, the beds were equipped with pillows and blankets. Another feature of the Soviet Vetrisvitel were cold shower rooms to sober up aggressive drunkards. 
In extreme cases, the police would spray a stream of cold water out of a huge hose. Good old Rasol was never used in these new Betrasvitil stations. No pickle juice for you guys. Just cold showers. Good luck. Yep. In 1940, authority over sobering up stations was transferred from the Ministry of Health to the Ministry of Internal Affairs. This meant that the local police were in charge of collecting heavy drinkers and sobering them up with help of medical workers. The peak of Betrasvitil activity came in the times of Nikita Khrushchev and Leonid Brezhnev. That explains why you didn't really hear about it. That was a long time ago. If a person was taken to a sobering up station, that fact would not remain unnoticed. The staff would send an official note about the incident to the workplace. For communists, this could lead to expulsion from the party, which automatically meant losing one's job. In the USSR and Russia, there were many cases when police officers just fulfilling the quota arrested tipsy people who were just going home. Then they sent a shameful note about detention to their workplace. So a little bit of abuse of power there. I was gonna say dictatorship. Well, I, I guess it smells like it. There was an article in Russia's administrative code which stated that a person should not appear in public places in a condition which insults human dignity. One could be fined or be sentenced to 15 days confinement with community service. But even now many lawyers find the definition of an insult to human dignity pretty vague. Like what does it really mean? I was going to say probably if they saw anyone from these days, our times in the olden days, they would say all of us are in some way insulting human dignity. I guess. So the Vetrizvitit was also one of the main tools used to combat alcohol consumption in the 1980s, in the middle of the infamous anti-alcohol campaign initiated by Mikhail Gorbachev. Have you ever heard of that before, Master? I know you weren't around yet. No, I have not. It lasted from 1985 to 1987. Some people compare it to prohibition. It's not entirely prohibition. The campaign was known as dry law. Prices of vodka, wine, and beer were raised, and their sales were restricted in amount and time of day. People who were caught drunk at work or in public were prosecuted. Hmm. So it's not like alcohol was prohibited altogether. It was just really expensive, and it was prohibited at certain times after certain hours. The process of sobering up at the time was regulated by a special decree of the Ministry of Internal Affairs, adopted in 1985 and updated in 1991. According to this decree, a police patrol of two servicemen was in charge of picking up drunks from the streets of cities. They were supposed to drive around in a car with a sign that says, Special Medical Service. Undercover. The patrol was forbidden to take part in family quarrels. For instance, if a drunken husband and wife were beating each other up outdoors, the police couldn't touch them. And that is a no-no for the patrol was taking heavy drinkers home. The Vetschitzvitel was the only way to go. Well, at that point, they were probably just trying to make some money off of those people. That's what it sounds like to me, honestly. I also wonder if it helped with the higher prices on alcohol and the limited time. Did you find any information as far as if the consumption went down? I actually was reading about this and it did go down, especially in the rural areas because it was harder to so in the cities you still could get alcohol in after hours in a lot of places like secret places people were selling it from under the table or whatnot but in the rural areas 
there was less access to that. So it, it did help, but as you can see, it didn't last very long, 1985 to 1987. People weren't happy about it. I can't imagine. It actually made me think of a speakeasy. I would like to go to a bar that has a, that theme. You've never been to a speakeasy? No, I haven't. Just old, regular bars. Boring. <laughs> old, boring, regular bars. Well, we need to fix that. They're, they're actually pretty fun. I've been to a couple of them. Nice. I, I, would, I would like to go to one where it's like actually you don't know that it's a bar. Like that you have to find it or something like that. It would be like a quest. Well, you still have to somehow find out about it. Well, right. That's how the speakeasies, you're right, came about during Prohibition time here in the United States. I don't think any speakeasies came about in the Soviet Union during 85, 87. They were just drinking samagon. Yep. Um, Russian version of moonshine. Basically, yeah. Bootleg alcohol made by babushkas and dedushkas. <laughs> That's what your grandma was doing last summer. I was actually reading about this. This is um, that now that you mentioned it, the samagon. That was kind of, I guess, a side effect, an unwanted side effect of this dry law that people were trying to make their own alcohol. And I don't know much about it, but obviously so if something can go wrong, if you do it wrong, like you can get really bad poisoning and you can actually die from it. So that was yeah. unintended side effect of trying to implement this dry law. Anyway, back to back to our Vetrizvitel. Some people couldn't be taken to Vetrizvitel. They were deputies of the state Duma, which is Russian parliament, and regional parliaments, military servicemen, policemen, and state security officials. They were to be dealt with by their colleagues. Drunken people who held high Soviet orders and medals would immediately be taken to their relatives. Drunken pregnant women, which I have a lot of questions about this, but and disabled people would immediately be taken to hospital. So some people definitely got some special treatment there. Yeah, I smell some not equal rights there. Nope. So what, what would happen in the typical sobering center? An examination and medical care was provided to arrested citizens. A report was compiled based on the results of a medical examination. And whatever found during the search of arrested drunks was documented in the report. Then men were separated from women and placed in cells. After they sober up, they had to pay a fine or be given a bill if they have no money on their person. The price for sobering up services varied depending on the region from the equivalent of two to 20 US dollars a night. So you can get pretty pricey. If the sum was too big, you could pay it in installments. That's a pretty wide range from two to 20. I think the range is like depends on where you're at. If you're like in some small Russian village, then it's cheaper. If you are in the capital, Moscow, St. Petersburg, that's probably where it would get pretty mm. pricey. That makes sense. Some people say that by the end of the 90s, the relaxed attitude of the Russian factory's management toward alcoholic workers reached the point where sometimes they unofficially, of course, allow workers to sleep right on the factory floor. Thus, from morning to lunch, the worker could still do some work, but after lunch, it was passed out drunk time. Oh my God. <laughs> Later, after sobering up, the worker could go home or just sleep over and start again. That just blows my mind that that was even a thing. 
there was definitely a problem with that. I remember sometimes people say like, you know, these bad '90s in Russia. There, there was there were some problems in the '90s. I, w- I would have to admit, unfortunately. At that time, sovereign tanks were infamous for beating and looting their inmates, which prompted the authorities to first half the number of locations between 1990 and 2006, and in 2011, Russia abolished all of the drunk tanks altogether. Interestingly, I didn't know this, in December of 2020, the Russian parliament passed a law reinstating the practice of drunk tanks. The move was motivated by the number of drunks that freeze to death in Russia's harsh winter climate conditions. It's about 10,000 people annually. It's a lot of people. It is. That's very sad. Yes. And I'm not sure why, but I was a bit surprised to find out that drunk tanks exist around the world. Apparently, I just thought that they were Russia-specific and former republic-specific. Well, I actually just thought about it, too, because you mentioned the winter conditions. And there are a lot of places in the world where it gets really cold. So I was wondering what it's like, I would say, like in Canada or some of the European countries. I actually am not sure about Canada, that didn't come up, but drunk tanks exist, for instance, in Czech Republic, the first such institution in Czechoslovakia at the time was opened in 1951 by psychiatrist Yaroslav Skala. Supposedly, its first patient was Russian naval engineer. Of course. <laughs> During its first 30 years of service, Prague's sobering station treated over 180,000 people. Other facilities in the country treated over 1 million people. There are also drunk tanks in Estonia, and most of the clients there are brought forcefully by police to sober up. If a person poses a threat to the public or themselves, one will not be released until sober up to 24 hours. In Poland, drunk tanks or sobering up chambers exist in bigger cities, hosting a total of 300,000 people yearly. Unofficially, these places are known as Vytryzvelka, I'm sorry, guys, whoever speaks Polish, if I'm not saying it right, but it's literally means soberator. Being drunk by itself is not an offense in Poland. If police find a drunk person wandering near railroad tracks or in harsh weather, they'll try to return the person home. And if the person is violent or a danger to others, they'll be sent to a drunk tank. In Poland, these facilities charge fees just like hotels, usually the highest rates that are legal, which is why they're sometimes called the most expensive hotel in town. And as of 2019, the highest legal fee was 309 slot, which I think is about $80 for about 24 hours. So that is kind of like staying in a hotel. I'm sure it's it's a little different than staying in a hotel. So you probably wish after <laughs> you're done staying there that you spend your $80 better. In Sweden, the sobering up units are located at police stations around the country. They're known as Philly cell or drunk cell. The cell is for holding people who are too intoxicated to take care of themselves or when their intoxication poses a danger to themselves or other people. Versions of drunk tanks or drunk cells also exist in Switzerland, United Kingdom, and apparently in the United States. So some activists say that drunk tanks are a violation of human rights because in many countries, a person cannot be stripped and searched without the warrant. There have been cases in some countries, including Russia, as I mentioned earlier, when drunk tanks patients were beaten heavily and robbed of their money. On the other hand, as we discussed earlier, many view the drunk tanks as a means to save drunks from death, which is a humane act. So it's, um, 
it's a little bit of a mixed bag here with with a drunk tank it's definitely a good idea if you look at it from a human perspective but sometimes things can go haywire that's true and well i don't even know what are the laws now if people are found drunk in public in russia i guess since we're talking about well, like Russia I said, mostly. apparently it, it was reestablished in 2020. The drunk tanks. I, yeah. I don't think I don't think they drive around searching for drunks in the mysterious um, medical service cart anymore. But yeah, if you're being loud and posing a threat, you're you gonna get picked up and be dealt with. I thought that when they were reestablished, it was for like a certain period of time for when there was World Cup or something. I guess I didn't think of it as a permanent establishment maybe that's what it was i couldn't really find very many details about that when you talk about that mystery medical service it makes me think of the mystery car from (laughs) (laughs) scooby-doo i'm sure it's decked out not like a mystery car from (laughs) scooby-doo not a mystery van mystery van well and there you have it very short history of russian drunk tanks i hope you enjoyed it and the word of the day, obviously, was vitrezvitel. I don't know who needs to know it and where or where you get to use it, but there you go, guys. Vitrezvitel is your Russian word of the day. I'm glad that I never had to go to a drunk tank or vitrezvitel. Oh, I'm glad you never had to either. But I enjoyed the information about it. Interesting to look back at the history. And if you do drink alcohol, Please be responsible and take care of yourself. Absolutely. Be smart about it. And then if you have a little too much, just remember, drink some pickle juice. True. Try it. It's also always a good idea to have someone you can rely on who is less drunk or not drunk, who can take care of you. (laughs) They can help. And what do you got for me today on the wow news front? Wow news. Wow, interesting fact. So I was listening to a podcast this week and they started talking about sharks and it was just a random fact that they also discussed that I never knew about. I'm curious if you've heard this. The Sharknado is a real thing. (laughs) Did I guess it right? Nope. Damn. Okay. Sharks are older than trees. What? Apparently, how much older? Sharks have existed for more than 450 million years, and the earliest tree lived around 350 million years ago, so by 100 million years. Oh, wow. So that's cool. Yeah, so sharks are actually older than trees, and they're also one of the only animals to have survived four of the five mass extinctions. Mass extinctions. That's a hard word to say. Extinctions. But basically, I guess sharks are like dinosaurs of the ocean. Almost. They're pretty badass. Did you know that sharks grow teeth all their lives? I'm sure you knew that, right? Yes, I knew that. So jealous. They don't have to go to the dentist ever. Yeah, I don't know if that's something to be jealous about. Why do you need to grow teeth all the time? What happens to your teeth? (laughs) They fall out all the time? Just knock them out accidentally? I've been pretty unlucky with my teeth as I had to deal with a lot of issues in my adult life. Um, right now they, they are pretty good. You know, I go to the dentist twice a year and take care of them. And But there was a period of time when I wasn't happy. There was a period of time when Nesta was jealous of, of sharks in their teeth. <laughs> pretty much. 
I'm glad those dark times are behind <laughs> us. Well, thank you for that. Wow, interesting fact. Very informative. And thank you all again for joining us. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at curioussisterspodcast at gmail.com. We will also post a picture of a Russian drunk tank on our Instagram at Curious Sisters Podcast. Maybe we'll post a picture of a shark, just as a reminder. They're amazing. And maybe we'll post a picture of your guys' awesome Halloween costume if we get a okay from all the parties involved. Yes, we can do that. And we'll see you guys next time. Пока! Пока!